This podcast is brought to you by Google and produced in collaboration with Kerasoft and Government Executive Media Group's Studio 2G. From keeping constituents informed to supporting those on the front lines of public health, Google knows these are unprecedented times for the public sector, times when the work you do is more important than ever. That's why they're offering collaboration tools like Google Meet to those in the public sector free of charge. Learn more about how Google's tools and services can support your public sector organization at cloud.google.com. What would have happened if a public health crisis like COVID-19 had occurred just 10 or 20 years ago? We'll probably never know the answer to that question, but one thing is for certain. Maintaining a sense of normalcy in our day-to-day operations would have been much more challenging than it is today. That's because many of the tools and technologies we use now didn't exist even a couple of years ago. Just think how different the day-to-day would be for a remote worker without collaboration tools and video conferencing software. Not to mention that tracking the spread of the virus would have been difficult without the data management strategies and tools that we have today. And providing services and benefits to the public quickly and efficiently would have been nearly impossible without the technology necessary to support high volumes of unemployment claims and other benefit requests. Public servants and healthcare workers have been the ones on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis, but perhaps the unsung heroes behind all of this are the technology providers that continue to build products and solutions to help the government better serve their constituents. Thanks to these IT solutions, public sector organizations have had the tools they need to work collaboratively and efficiently during these unprecedented times. But how can government agencies fully take advantage of all of the technologies available to them as they continue to adapt to the ever-changing circumstances brought on by the pandemic? I'm your host, Constance Sayers, President of Government Executive Media Group, and here to talk about how the tech community is stepping up during this crucial time is Todd Schroeder, Director of Public Sector Digital Strategy at Google Cloud. Todd, thanks for being here. It's great being here. Thank you. So COVID-19 brought about a number of challenges for citizens. Uh, Several tech companies are helping the public sector solve these challenges. And so can you tell us a little bit about Google Cloud's part in working with the public sector? Sure. Um, You know, for, for decades and for many reasons, states have really been unable to modernize their IT infrastructure. They've continued to enhance and spend money on those things, largely as the, you know, the fast path to getting to the next requirement, which just meant they continued to add to kind of that technical debt that they have. And, and today, the, ma- the vast majority of those systems that deliver services to citizens really impacted by the COVID-19 situation, um, who are desperately in need, are old. And they really lack the agility and scalability to respond to unprecedented volume and the rapid changes of the pandemic. Right? We see policy changes overnight. Mm-hmm. And that, that rigidity built into those systems has, has, has resulted in a lack of, of ability to respond quickly. Ultimately, this, this weakness and the IT infrastructure has a, has a very real human cost to it. Right. There's millions of people um, being affected, um, and our struggle to effectively track and trace and treat and route to supportive services, um, you know, unemployment portals and call centers crashing as millions of people um, try to apply for uh, benefits, uh, food assistance agencies being overwhelmed with applications as citizens flood to the food banks to feed their families. 
And so our focus has, has really been centered on providing a very agile and rapid modern infrastructure that kind of encompasses that legacy infrastructure. Um, 100% serverless. It requires no on-premise infrastructure and can scale to the petabytes of data needed to really address this unprecedented volume. So in March, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy put out a call to action uh, to the tech community to develop new text and data mining techniques to help answer important scientific questions about the virus. Google Cloud has partnered with the federal government to make this happen. So can you tell us a little bit about what the solution looks like and some of the challenges it will ultimately solve in the next few months? Sure. Um, You know, Google answered the White House challenge by bringing together you know, our OK plus COVID-19 academic articles on Google's Kaggle platform in just a few days. And so for those that don't know, the Kaggle community is really a collection of uh, over 4 million data scientists who are extracting critical information from open data sets. And they do that in kind of a consortium approach, right? So that you've got millions of people taking pieces of the problem set that are aware of pieces of data that might be helpful in solving those problems to work together at scale. Um, Actually, in in addition to the White House challenge, um, you know, there's really other, uh, there's a multitude of other um, support that we're offering relative to this research. Um, And one of those things is the the data-driven COVID-19 models. Uh, researchers, a lot of researchers, academic uh, universities and, and really government researchers have turned to Google uh, Cloud Life Sciences to help accelerate this research program. And that includes studying how social distancing and travel restic- restrictions affect COVID-19 transmission, um, the laboratory for the modeling of biological and socio-technical systems, and the Network Science Institute at, at Northeastern University started running very large-scale data-driven model simulations on Google Cloud in early January. And so Google Cloud's high-performance computing capabilities, uh, coupled with our Cloud Life Sciences API, has reduced the time it takes to run complex simulations from days down to hours. And so all of those researchers, both the Kaggle and a lot of these uh, universities, are all partnering together um, to, and, and have generated over 9 million different models and analyzed more than 5,500 terabytes of the resulting data. That's fabulous. It really is. It's really impressive. Yeah, there's, there's you know, and, and you know, it goes on, right? Um, there's, there's also free access to the high-demand high public health data sets in addition to that work that the, the academic and research communities are doing. And so a large... Um, you know, a large population of folks out there just need access to those gold standard data sets. All right, this is such a data-rich problem that we were kind of proving out just how important um, access to data really is today. And so, to support that, the you know healthcare customers and researchers alike in developing these new insights for the virus, Google is making as we work with all these consortiums um, is making pre-hosted repositories of public data sets like the John Hopkins Center for Systems Science and Engineering, the U.S. Census data, hospital general information from HHS, all free to access, host, and query via our BigQuery public data sets program. 
So these data sets actually remove barriers and provide access to critical information quickly and easily to any of those people or organizations that might be trying to study or integrate that data into how they're making decisions. So it's really eliminating the need to search and onboard large data files um, or find licensing terms. Mm -hmm. Customers can easily access the data on on the Google Cloud Marketplace integrate that data into uh, the models and, and techniques or technologies they may be uh, leveraging to run models, um, along with the description of the data and sample queries to help advance the research more quickly. That's really fascinating. I mean, another application too, I mean, uh, that, that I want to look at is when it comes to public health, state and local governments have an increasingly important role to play. Google Cloud has provided assistance to many of these communities from the Oklahoma State Department of Health to the Emergency Operations Center in Eagle County, Colorado. I think a lot of those were on like symptom trackers and other really great applications. Can you speak to how you've worked with these different communities to provide essential citizen services? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot to talk through. We've really seen a cascading effect of this disease around the world. And it actually starts back to our first customer in Singapore that implemented a, um, a bot to, to handle all of the inbound questions around that country um, for questions. And so when we, when we think here in the, in the U.S., uh, you, you brought up the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Um, wonderful partner um, and customer of ours. Um, the, ultimately, the, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Department of Health needed a, a really fast, scalable screening process. That's where they started. They needed to track and ultimately engage with the people who had been exposed to the virus and also track inbound pop passengers coming to the, to the area from high infection areas. So that's where they started. And there was really no central database or application to monitor those statewide epidemics. Um, they needed actionable insights, and the existing paper-based forms um, were creating long backlogs and ultimately slowing access to understanding or knowledge, um, preventing the fast follow-up and, and ultimately pr- potential carriers. Right, so it was moving too slow um, mm-hmm. when we compared that to the rate that the virus was spreading. Right. So Google partnered with with uh, Oklahoma Department of Health. Um, and built several public-facing dashboards that they use to inform the public of the current situation. Um, they've contracted with our with our partner MTX to build a phase two of the symptom tracker to allow the public to enter potential COVID symptoms online and ultimately to direct them to testing facilities as required. Right. So this is about active and passive tracing programs. And really using automation and AI to scale those programs so that people can uh, opt in, participate early, um, be a part of that population that gets uh, daily SMS alerts about are you experiencing symptoms, and so that they can very quickly monitor and react, route those citizens that need it based on symptoms to the best treatment available in in that given community. And you know that data then integrates back into state epidemiology systems, and so the right uh, attention and care or support services can be offered to that citizen, and then it's circular, right? Now that we have another positive um, ID, we have to go back and understand who now might be at risk based on that. Eagle County, Colorado. The other the other example, which is is a um, is a is another great use case I like to talk about. This is. Um, 
a, a customer that really did this all on their own, right? So this was, you know, and I, we just had a webinar with about, I don't know, there's all in total about 90 customers online that were just wanting to know what Eagle Colorado did. And Eagle, Eagle uh, County shared their solution with all of these other customers as kind of a best practice so they could get, get started quickly. And so they wanted a way to, to uh, very similar to Oklahoma, they wanted a way to closely monitor the spread of COVID around their county. Um, and for them, you know, in, in, uh, in particular, it's a, it's a resort area. Right. It's Colorado. Yeah. a lot of travel. Yeah. 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 And so that's, you know, traditionally the hot spot. A lot of people right. come together from a lot of different places. And so they were, you know, impacted very quickly in advance of really the state having a plan and a solution for scaling across the entire state. So they took it on their, on themselves. Um, and, and they ultimately used our G suite portfolio of, of, of technologies, you know, no code involved here to provide ingest of information, right? So, so citizens could identify themselves, ask questions, provide, um, uh, input into the state. Um, they, they were, uh, able to develop the dashboards and public facing websites that would inform the county, the residents uh, where to go, what the current plan was. Um, and ultimately it was a real time solution to help better track the virus, um, keep the community safe and informed. Um, it is a self-reporting public dashboard. Mm-hmm. So it's an opt in, you know, people can participate, um, and, and provide information, and, and it gives a comprehensive view of the spread, including the symptomatic citizens, lab-confirmed cases, negative results, and all those still pending. Um, so those citizens are encouraged to self-report um, in an online form, and that data uh, becomes available for analysis and decision-making. You mentioned your partnership with MTX. Um, you also... Um, you've been partnering with them to equip government and health professionals with real-time insights through the disease monitoring and control app. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how agencies are using that app as well as the real-time data and how real-time data like that can continue to play a role in public health? You've kind of certainly indicated a couple um, examples here, but it'd really be great to, to look at that a little bit more. Sure. I'll, I'll dig into some of the, some of the details. Um, so, so the, the application itself um, connects individuals across the state um, not necessarily just from impacted areas, but from the total population with non-invasive digital quarantine processes, which sends their data to health officials so that they can be identified and so that the individuals most at risk and in need of medical attention can get that attention. And so just to, just to make this kind of come to life, Imagine yourself having an application published by the state and it provides you the current status. It lets you know what the state's plans are. It lets you, it lets you know where we're at in, in, in the curve that we all hear about on the news. Mm-hmm. And let's say that you were feeling sick. You had a place to go in and say, you know, I, I hear a lot on the news. I don't know what to think about this but I sure want some advice. Now, traditionally speaking, in the traditional mode of government service delivery, we would say call the 800 number. 
And that's what we've seen a lot in a lot of states. And we see these websites crashing and we see these call centers flooded and they can't respond. We can't possibly satisfy the increase in inbound across traditional channels. And so what MTX and, and what we're doing with these states is identifying um, alternate channels that can scale much more rapidly to allow people to get answers as they come through that funnel. And so uh, kind of back to our scenario, you have some symptoms, you're not feeling well, you have a fever. And so you might identify you have a, a fever. Now that you've identified that, what the state would do based on um, you know, policies and procedures from the CDC in this, this incubation period for two weeks, they would send you an SMS text every day and ask you how you're feeling. And you may say, I'm, I'm still feverish. Maybe you have a couple other symptoms. And over that two weeks, keep in mind, this is automated. There's no human intervention here. You're just part of that, 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 um, yeah. that, that touch, right? Mm -hmm. Every day, you know what's happening. And now you have another symptom and, and you know, you're not in a, in a low risk population anymore. You may be in a moderate risk population. And so that would immediately be flagged for um, a trace worker mm. to identify now you're in another population and we need to route you to the local testing facility that we have popped up. So you would go to that testing facility, you would get a test. That test would ultimately flow back through the state epidemiological system. That data would ultimately flow back into the, to the state um, kind of command and control center. Mm -hmm where now we can connect the, the, not, the negative data that you've been providing over time and, and where you are in the state, but now a positive piece of data. And all of that data is being aggregated along with what we discussed earlier, census data, um, uh, mobility data that gives us a real-time insights into the trends and how our policies are affecting outcomes. And so that's very much what the MTX solution is doing for, for our state customers, is helping us scale millions of participants that can participate early in those, um, you know, no, I'm not feeling symptoms, to now I have symptoms, to now I need help, as opposed to it being manual in nature where we have to mm -hmm. outbound contact everyone because we can't continue to iterate through that every day for every citizen affected. And so um, it's really the data insights and capturing all the data, not just the positive data, but the negative data as well, as well that's ultimately informing policymakers to make decisions that are in the best, um, um, best possible outcome for the citizen. So ultimately, it, it's really enabling those health officials to predict the movement and outbreaks, hotspots, and how to advise um, how they mobilize the necessary resources, both personnel and equipment. It helps visualize, um, you know, the situation. I get heat maps so I can see where there are, are outbreaks um, again, and how the how the scale and the movement of that that outbreak um, can be supported better from decision making, and it can provide critical data of, upon reopening. Mm -hmm. Right. In terms of are we ready and what should we open based on what we know of those unique localized communities based on all of this uh, information coming together. So we're really supporting governments and organizations who are collecting the information, right? Symptoms, pre-existing medical conditions, 
ultimately in order to, to better monitor and support the local communities. And those submissions are displayed in the dashboards, which are the real power here, not just to inform the citizens, but really to make decisions and demonstrate how decisions are improving the situation as this advances on a daily basis. So those tools you know, that support this, like Google Forms, Data Studio, BigQuery, and some of our data visualization techniques, um, all, all being used in, in compliance with, with laws, regulations in place in those states. That's really great. Um, so let's switch from health and move to the economy. With increased layoffs and furloughs across the nation, human service agencies have faced new pressures on the vitally important systems that process benefits, like unemployment claims and SNAP and TANF benefits. The state of New York alone saw a 16,000% increase in phone calls and a 1,600% increase in web traffic from those looking for information about unemployment applications during some peak weeks. Google Cloud actually helped New York to manage the surge in applications by creating a portal to effectively handle the uptick in traffic. So how did Google Cloud infrastructure make it possible for New York to support and process the high volume of users? Sure, sure. Um, so, so Google Cloud is 100% serverless. So I think that's an important mm -hmm. starting point. It's not that we have to come in, install, stack, and rack. It's, it's there on day one. Um, key ingredient of being able to move fast to provide scale and ultimately to deploy innovation. Um, so it requires no on-premise infrastructure um, and, and can ultimately you know, scale to the petabytes to meet the volume demands. Very tactically, what we did is we supported the rapid surge in unemployment cases that was largely byproduct of a brand new population of people that were eligible. So just to put it, you know, plainly, mm -hmm. there was a way that traditional unemployment systems worked. And what I mean by that is they collect certain pieces of data, they verify identity a certain way, they verify they ver they verify income and uh, W2s a certain way. And there was a whole other set of questions and processes that had never, ever even be th been thought of mm -hmm. when all of a sudden on that day, the pandemic unemployment insured population became eligible. And so what we did was stand up an entirely new web and mobile presence. We stood up all of the additional forms and fields and capabilities to submit your information to process that information and verify that information and then integrate that set into the back end legacy processing so checks could get cut. And so that's that's what we did to stand it up so it built resilience into the website to handle the traffic spikes in volume that you've seen. Um, it allowed us to quickly and, and by quickly I mean these were midnight mm -hmm. conference calls. And, and, you know, from midnight to two in the morning, the requirements changed. And so a lot of this just had to do with being there and being available and moving quickly for the state. That's, that's fascinating. And I mean, is this something that you think, you know, you're going to be able to replicate in other states? Very much so. Um, and we already are. Right? So when we, look at the, when we look at Illinois, for example, they're also adding the call center population using our contact center AI capabilities which integrates with our chatbot, um, a dialogue flow capability, which are all AI driven so that we can, um, 
I think I saw a stat earlier around over 3 million claims had been um, uh, satisfied already. So what we're able to do there is ensure that we are getting support to more people without necessarily having to increase the human touch, right? That's what this AI capability is really doing by introducing additional channels, leveraging AI to do it smart without human intervention, and then only allowing those cases that need human intervention to get human intervention. So everything we want to, you know, the throughput with as, as, as few hands-on as possible. Um, and there's many other states that we're actually working on the same thing um, for. And what we're doing as we iterate through them is we're making it better, right? We're trying to automate the um, verification processes. We're trying to automate many of the other, um, I'd say, manual checkpoints through that process to ultimately shorten the, the life cycle by which it takes to submit a claim to receive the support you need. That's perfect. Um, so at the start of the crisis, many agencies were tasked with shifting quickly to remote work. Um, can you speak to the ways that collaboration tools and cloud infrastructure help employees to be productive even when they're not in the office? And then, you know, kind of the second part of this is how can agencies continue to make the most of these tools, both in the times of crisis and then maybe in more normal times? We spent probably the first week, um, I'll say, really standing up a... a um, a process at, at Google to make sure that we could get the um, virtual capabilities that are needed out to governments around the world. And it was really kind of an incredible moment um, uh, for, for us and our customers around the world. We saw uh, in the matter of a couple of weeks, around 9 million seats provisioned to support the continuity of operations, people getting together on video calls to discuss what they need to do to continue delivering uh, on their mission, right? So there's just the general um, capability of you know, collaborating together. Some uh, uh, you know, countries and, and cities and counties um, are all in different places in terms of you know, video conferencing. Um, some uh, were in different places relative to having the equipment to support video conferencing now that I'm locked at home. And so we see a number of those use cases from um, traditional supportive meetings, you know, day by day, any mission applies, to really bespoke solutions to ensure that, um, uh, you know, child support welfare workers in the state of Georgia had Chrome devices and G Suite so they could continue to do their casework and make sure that they were protecting those that are in need. Um, to you know, some states, uh, Bureau of Prisons, ensuring that they could enable visitation mm -hmm. virtually um, by family members to make sure that they knew their families were okay. Mm -hmm. So interesting use cases all over, all over the board, but that's predominantly this G Suite capability um, you know, streaming, you know, billions of minutes of video a day, which is just incredible, right? Obviously, it really is a spike increase, and we all, you know, participate in our, in our, uh, you know, our 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 meet uh, discussions with with family members, and, and we try to to, to you know uh, maintain our social well being uh, virtually now. And so we see all of those use cases. Beyond that, we also have you know these rapid response virtual agents that help uh, you know government missions quickly disseminate information 
to citizens using voice chat or, or other social media feeds. Um, they can be deployed on, on, on websites or call centers, uh, really significantly increasing any agency's capacity to address the influx of questions related to the programs that they might be applying for. So this is what I we, we talked a little bit earlier around. You know, right. we have to deploy virtual channels because we just don't have the humans to take every call or to respond to every email. And that I think is the power of what we're seeing today is that those virtual channels are intelligent. Mm-hmm. They can get you the ninety percent of what most need, which then help us reduce the funnel so that those that really do need human intervention get it. And that those humans that can help have the time to help those in need because they're not spending their time just responding to every general question that might be coming. It definitely seems like you can route people in a very smart way. And so like you're saying, by the time you target down, you're, you're, you really are getting people who are in need, which is, which is really fabulous. And, um, and, and certainly takes some of the call, the pressure off call centers and, and other, other, um, other public servants. Um, so looking out long term, let's let's you know uh, do a little crystal ball here. How can agent how, how can public sector organizations future proof their infrastructure and technology to ensure it's going to continue to benefit public sector employees as well as the con- the constituents that they serve in the future? So what how can we future proof? Sure. Um, you know, public sector organizations need to modernize their infrastructure. Can't be more direct about this. <laughs> this is not a new conversation. Right? Agency CIOs have known this. Many, many experts have written about it. I think what the COVID nineteen you know situation has shown are the limitations of the legacy systems. Right. Now, agencies need to invest in modern, scalable cloud technologies that really address you know security and risk. Mm-hmm. Right? How are we protecting this constituent data and the infrastructure needed uh, to reliably support these critical services at scale? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to address the engagement model. I think one of the biggest you know, aha moments of this is that traditional modes of providing government service may not be as relevant in a pandemic, frankly, unaddressable in a pandemic, but I think they're proof points for the type of experience any government consumer mm-hmm. should get from their government. Right? Should I have to go to a DMV to renew my license? I don't think anyone likes standing in a DMV line today or yesterday. Right. They certainly can't do it today. And I guess the question becomes, should they do it in the future? Right. Um, I look at that from two lenses, not just from a, can we deliver the service in a more consumable and, 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 you know, uh, appreciative way, but what does that have to do on the cost of delivering that service? Right. What we've seen as we've deployed these capabilities are they are magnitudes less costly than what it costs to just maintain the status quo today. Mm-hmm. Which I think is evidence that there is a new way to deliver not only better service, but better government at less cost. It's costing you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to operate what we have just proven doesn't work. Right. And it's costing less than $10 million to produce what works. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a stark reality that, that government leaders have to face in that question. 
It's like everything we thought that was going to be really, really hard and why we can't get away from the legacy has now been proven to be kind of a false reality. And so then I think they also need to address the, the employee productivity uh, akin to the, you know, uh, the citizen um, experience. It's the same thing. Right. We see employees being highly productive given the virtual working experience today. And I think our tools and our systems and our processes need to be able to support that virtual experience mm-hmm. because we know it has to work efficiently. Mm-hmm. If, I have, if I'm struggling today because I don't have my manila folders handy, I think that's indicative of what we need to do differently to make sure that our, custom, our, our customers um, of government being our employees have a better experience to operate and, and manage their processes internally because those have a direct and, and you know, the byproduct of good internal operations are incredible customer experiences. And then lastly, it, it is that age, agency operations, right? We have to increase the operational efficiency by integrating our systems and streamlining our workflows, right? We think about it and we do it for anything that touches a citizen. We have to do it now, it's an imperative. But I think we have to do it for our employees too. Not just to make them productive, but to ensure that they're happy in their careers mm-hmm. as public servants, and they, they, they are afforded the opportunity to be good at their jobs. But I think that ultimately has the biggest impact then on the net outcome, which is a really seamless and great experience for the customer. That's great. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners of this episode of Industry Insights. Industry Insights is a production of Government Executive Media Group Studio 2G in collaboration with Kerasoft. This episode is brought to you by Google Cloud. If you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or govexec.com forward slash podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Insights, brought to you by Google in collaboration with Kerasoft and Government Executive Media Group. As agencies continue to embrace remote work, make sure your agency has the tools it needs to lead with agility. Learn more about how Google can support your agency at cloud.google.com.